All right, today is uh, John chapter 12, and uh, there is a lot to learn in this chapter. There's more here than we could ever cover in one short podcast, because in this one chapter, Mary anoints Jesus with expensive oil, drawing on the um, deceptively self-righteous disapproval of Judas Iscariot, and we read that uh, the... Jewish authorities even wanted to find a way to put Lazarus to death, the same Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead just in the last chapter, put him to death. Why? Because he was a walking around testimony to the power of Jesus. And we read also about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem for the last week of Jesus' earthly life. And we read uh, some really rich teaching of, of Jesus about himself and the salvation that he came to bring. I mean, just no matter how we slice it, uh, we're only going to be able to cover a, a sliver of what's here. But let's just consider a few truths here. Namely, I want to point out, I think, four things about this chapter. So one I would describe as already and not yet. Already and not yet. One of the most helpful concepts to understand when you're reading and studying your Bible is and trying to understand a lot of the things that it teaches is the concept of already and not yet. You say, what in the world is that? Well, already not yet is a way of understanding how the Bible itself presents the unfolding plan of God in salvation. In other words, very often when God brings about the fulfillment of a promise or the fulfillment of a prophecy, he does it in stages. Um, in other words, he doesn't just fulfill it all at once, but often uh, stage by stage. Because of this, there are times in the Bible when, uh, when something is already fulfilled and at the same time, not yet fulfilled. <laughs> in some sense, it's already fulfilled. In another sense, it's not yet. Um, if that doesn't make sense to you, maybe oh, we have a good example in this chapter to help us. Consider what Jesus says in verse 31. Speaking of his crucifixion, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Now, the ruler of this world refers to Satan, and Jesus is saying that through his death on the cross, Satan will be cast out. Now, Jesus is saying it, so it's true, but consider what we also read elsewhere in the New Testament about Satan. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan is called the God of this world, little g, God, the God of this world. And he is said to, in that verse to have blinded the minds of the unbelievers. I and mean, that sounds like Satan is still alive and active. First John five nineteen, John says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So if that's true, how can Jesus say of the cross, now the ruler of this world will be cast out? John twelve thirty one. Well, there's a very real sense in which what Jesus says in John twelve thirty one is an already rea is is already a reality, and not yet a reality. Here's how. While it is true, according to 1 Peter 5, 8, that Satan still prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, it's also true, according to John 12, 31, that his fate has already been sealed by what Jesus did on the cross. His end is so certain that Jesus can talk about it as if it has happened already, and in a very real sense, it has happened already. Jesus has already taken away Satan's greatest weapon, namely death. Satan can lie, steal, deceive, and do all manner of other, other destructive things, but he no longer has the use of his greatest weapon against those who put their faith in Jesus. 
And while he will deceive and plague the world for a little while longer because, because of Jesus' substitutionary death and triumphant resurrection, his end and his defeat is already spelled out. Already and not yet. So secondly, I want to think about the fact that um, it appears to be saying here in this chapter that Isaiah saw Jesus. That's, a, that's an interesting uh, statement in verse 41. And in John 12, 41, John says, Isaiah said these things. I'd rather be quoted Isaiah chapter 6. He said, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah saw whose glory and spoke of whom? Well, it's talking about Jesus. Verse 37 says, uh, though he, that is Jesus, had done so many signs before them, um, uh, they still did not believe in him, that is Jesus. So Jesus is the subject of this paragraph. And then verse 41 says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory, Jesus' glory, and spoke of Jesus. So what are these things? Like I said, it, it, it refers back to the two passages from Isaiah that John quotes in verses 38 and 40. In verse 38, he quotes Isaiah 53, which is a very detailed prophecy about the suffering and death of the coming Messiah. And if you, if you read it, if you didn't know it was the, the Old Testament, the prophecy is so detailed that you might even think you were reading a New, New Testament description of the death of Jesus. So it's not surprising at all, really, that John says that Isaiah was speaking of Jesus in Isaiah 53. What is surprising, though, is the passage from Isaiah that John quotes in verse 40. That is Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. Isaiah 6, if you went back there and read that, presents a very exalted vision of the Lord. Um, in that vision, Isaiah sees in verse 1, the majestic throne of God. In verse 2, the seraphim that surround the throne of God. Uh, in verse 3, the song that they sing, declaring the holiness and the glory of the Lord. Verse 4, the fright, frighteningly powerful voice of the Lord speaking. In the presence of this holy God, Verse 5, Isaiah himself despairs of his own sinfulness. And this is the passage that Isaiah has in mind when he quotes it from it, when John quotes from it. Excuse me, this is the passage that John has in mind when he quotes from it in, in John twelve forty. And in light of that majestic passage in which Isaiah said, in Isaiah 6, 1, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. It's truly remarkable that John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that when Isaiah saw that, and said that he was actually seeing Jesus' glory, and he was speaking of Jesus. That is really remarkable, and it's one of the most powerful testimonies in John uh, of the deity of Jesus, really in all the Bible. Thirdly, they loved man's praise. They loved man's praise. Right after the, this amazing statement regarding the deity of Jesus, John delivers some extremely in, indicting words. In verse 42, John notes that, uh, quote, Many, even of the authorities, believed in Jesus, but he chillingly notes that they did not confess it. Why? Because they were afraid of the Pharisees and did not want to be put out and excommunicated from the synagogue. John takes this even further in verse 43 and says the real reason this fear kept them from confessing their faith in Jesus was that, in, in his words, they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That's amazing. And that, that sounds like a, a really serious offense and accusation, but we need, to, we need to be reminded that we are guilty of the same thing as well. There are so many times that we 
act or speak a certain way out of a fear of man or a desire to please man instead of boldly uh, risking the disapproval of man in order to honor the Lord above all else and do what we know is right. Sometimes we do it and we don't even realize we're doing it. But what an indictment this is. It is sheer foolishness and God give us grace to realize it to love praise from man rather than from God. May we sing it with honest hearts when we sing, Though none go with me, I still will follow. And finally, the chapter ends with some more pretty sobering words that even every professing believer needs to hear. Jesus says this in verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Um, this is why in, in, in churches most Sundays, especially at Lakeview, uh, after every sermon that is preached, um, there is a plea for everyone to respond to the word that they just heard, read, and proclaimed. Every word of Scripture uh, we did not heed will oppose us in the judgment. Uh, that doesn't mean in the invitation time, that means you must walk the aisle and go down forward, but you must respond in some way in your heart. We praise uh, the Lord for his grace in bearing our sin and punishment in our place, but this should not remove our desire and our motivation to be doers of the word and not hearers only, according to James 1.22. In the meantime, every uh, time we hear or read the word of God and don't apply it and respond to it in belief and obedience, a spiritual callous builds up over our hearts. And we may not hear the word more clearly the next time. So those are just some thoughts from John chapter 12.